Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. When I was nine or ten, I had some gerbils and I named my gerbils after her. So I think I probably told her. <laughs> what, what, what were the names of the gerbils? Well, they were both males. So it was Carl and Bernie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know if that's something she, she, you know, well, hopefully she'll understand that that is a compliment from a 10 year old, but. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Claire, I'm super excited because today we have an amazing topic and amazing guest. Michael D. Cohen, who has partnered with Nickelodeon for the Michael D. Cohen Trans Youth Acting Challenge. And I love that because Michael is also Schwaz on Henry Danger and Danger Force, which means he's on Nickelodeon all the time, which makes me super jealous because I loved Nickelodeon as a kid. (laughs) Did you always wish you could get slimed? Slimed, gacked, whatever. Just hit me with it. I I was all about that. You remember Gak? Yeah, I do. I don't, I remember Slimed, but yeah, Nickelodeon is an awesome channel. And Jake, I gotta say, I love Michael because I have spent many hours, (laughs) one might even say days or weeks or months or years, watching Henry Danger Uh because my kids love, love, love that show. Of course. And one of my friends is one of the writers, producers on it. So I feel like I'm super connected. He talks about one degree of separation in this podcast. I feel like Michael and I are there. We're one degree away because of Henry Danger and his work on that show. (laughs) Well, also, in addition to being an actor, I mentioned it slightly, but he's also a uh, LGBTQ plus slash trans experience advocate, which means he works with people. And he's just a great person to be around, all in all, because he has so much love. He is an awesome person. And <laughs> he also is TikTok famous, which I'm incredibly jealous of. I know. Of. Three I've point, seen him. 3.9 <laughs> million people on TikTok. TikTok is something I've yet to, like, try myself. So I'm TikToking away over here. But uh, Michael's just, he's such a nice guy. And yeah. what I really appreciated was he didn't know me. He doesn't know you. He doesn't know us. No. He don't really know the team, you know, came to us through PR. And he just like opened up like an open book about Big his time. love of Carol Burnett, which is what we're yeah. talking about, by the way. Yeah. And it's just such a great episode. I encouraged Michael in the episode to uh, pursue one 
one of his bucket list items, which you'll hear. But I also feel like I'm just going to like try to hang out with him more. Yeah. Or at all. <laughs> but you know what? Enough, Claire, because we are giving too much away. This episode's okay, amazing. Okay, you're right. You're Let's right. Let's hop into it. Guys, this is Michael D. Cohen, and we are talking about Carol Burnett. So get excited. Get ready. Here we go. Michael, let me ask you this. Is there a Carol Burnett decade, like a peak Carol decade in her like tremendous career? Well, I mean, you know, she's obviously known for her show, which lasted 11 years, which is just a little more over a decade. I mean, that was certainly what put her in on the map and in the hearts of, of everybody. Although people knew her, of course, from before that and the Gary Moore show and stuff. But yeah, that was her decade. What's remarkable about Carol Burnett is that while she simultaneously acknowledges how important that decade was and that show was, she continues to be out there and develop and share her memories and the nostalgia and how, how special that show was and continue to do other work. Mm-hmm. So she's done amazing work since then as well. And she was, you know, recently on Better Call Saul. And uh-huh. now she's got this, this other show that's coming out, Palm Royale, where she does an episode. Like she's constantly doing stuff. But yeah, I mean, it was her show. I mean, that was, that was the quintessential Carol Burnett, you know, zeitgeist. And when you mentioned the show, Michael, was that how you were first introduced to Carol? Or was there some other way that she came into your life? I'm her long lost child. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> She doesn't know that she gave birth to me, but um, (laughs) yeah, the father knows, but she doesn't. So no, I mean, watching her show growing up, Mm -hmm. I think my earliest memory of watching her show was when I was four years old Yeah, and just sitting in front of the TV, just going, oh my God. I mean, at four, I don't know if four-year-olds should have been watching the show (laughs) necessarily, (laughs) (laughs) but I was, and and, and I think it was because it was such a family moment. You know, we all kind of gathered around the TV or whatever. But yeah, she has been sort of part of my psyche since I was a little kid. Okay. I want to delve deeper into that, but first for Anyone listening to this podcast who does not know who Carol Burnett is, which I don't know why that would be, but maybe there's someone out there. Could you give us a overarching view of Carol Burnett? Carol Burnett, I guess you would call a pioneer in comedy for many reasons. And she had a show from 1967 to 1979. It was called The Carol Burnett Show, and it was a variety show. And she was, I think, you know, if not the first woman one of the first women, definitely the most successful woman at at doing a variety show. She almost wasn't allowed to do it, but she had it in a contract that she had to be able to to do it. And so she did it. But she created this, I guess you would call like a community of viewers that would watch it and tune in every week. It was mostly on CBS during that time. And it was like this cultural lexicon. You know, people would go to work the, the next day and just, you know, water cooler talk. Like, did you see the Mrs. Wiggins sketch from last night? You know, she is the forerunner of really what, I don't think we'd have SNL mm-hmm. or we would have, wouldn't have had Mad TV or we wouldn't have had a lot of the kind of sensibility that we have in comedy today if it wasn't for her. You know, I know I've, I've seen her interviewed saying, you know, I don't think she likes being called a legend, but... Really, she defines what a legend is, which is is someone who has a huge impact on many, many people artistically and creatively and also culturally. Mm -hmm. And how would you describe her comedy? Like, what is it that makes her so funny to you? 
her absolute fearlessness. Mm. She does different kinds of comedy. Like what, what they did on her show was obviously sketch comedy. And it was, you know, there's a lot of physical comedy, a lot of slapstick. It was almost like rooted in, in some kind of like vaudevillian borscht belt stuff. You know, there was uh-huh. some of that. Absolutely. But it modernized that. And, and so she and the writers and, and her ensemble just created this, Unso- it was an ensemble. That's the thing is that you felt like you were part of this group because yes. of the, the community that she had. And so she, there was something about her, her comedy that's incredibly generous and that she works with the other people that she's, you know, in, in her sketches and scenes with in a way that is just, there's an energy of, of, of generosity in it. Mm-hmm. You feel that. You may not consciously know it, but I analyze comedy, so yeah. I, you know. I get it. You mentioned earlier about sitting around and watching her, her show with your family. Is this something that you shared with them growing up? Did they also love Carol or was this something that, you know, Oh yeah. Michael was all about. Totally. We would basically run the sketches and do the sketches in the car. <laughs> uh-huh. I would be Mr. Tudball and, you know, my dad would be Mrs. Wiggins or something, <laughs> you know, like, and then we'd be doing the, the oldest man, Tim Conway's like, you know, you know, like that kind of stuff. We'd be doing all that crap in the car. We'd be like reliving the shows. It's something that, you know, the best comedy is what unites people. Uh-huh. We don't sit in a theater or at home in a living room and go, okay, we're going to laugh on this line. We all just spontaneously laugh together. So something has united us. The comedy has made us all connect in some way. So it was definitely a family affair for sure. Now, you said something really interesting, Michael, and I'm a fan of the shows you've been on because I have kids, so I've seen probably every episode of of some of your series. You said you analyze comedy, and obviously you're very good at it. You're very funny yourself. What lessons did you take from those those 11 years of The Carol Burnett Show and infuse into your own self as an artist? It's easy to analyze comedy when it's not yourself doing it. But when it's yourself doing it, it's like, well, I don't really got to think about that. I think that when you talk about someone being a fan, like, am I a fan of Carol? I mean, yeah, I'm a fan, but I feel like there's something more. I, and I was thinking about this when, you know, when I knew we were going to talk about it. And I was like, what is it? Because fan doesn't quite cut it. And I was like, oh, you know what? Oh, my God. I imprinted on her. It was an imprinting. Like, I feel like a little duckling that, like, walked around, you know, and, uh. and just just watched her and watched the ensemble and just felt like it it wasn't a head thing. It was like, I was soaking it up like a sponge into my body, like Mm -hmm. the physical comedy, the timing. I mean, comedy is very melodic. Mm -hmm. Everybody talks about how it has rhythm and I teach acting and I, and I teach special courses on comedy acting. So I've had to break it down in my head. The way I try and explain it is comedy is like a classical composition. When you've got a script, you can't just put in an extra quarter rest or whole rest, whole note or whatever. Improvisational jazz, you can do that. That's more like drama. Mm-hmm. But comedy, you've got to follow the, an extra the, an extra uh, an extra beat of silence. All those things will make or break a joke. And a really good comedic actor will put a pause in or silence in or something to enhance the joke. But if you don't feel that rhythm, then you're ruining the joke. Mm-hmm. So what was the question? <laughs> I love that you say like you're you're like infused with her because I know exactly what you mean. The study of her movements, the study of her art form and like her 
her practice of comedy. So how much did you infuse in Michael, the artist that you took from her? Pretty much everything? Yeah. I mean, I, I can't think of anybody that has influenced me more in any way in my life. Like, I mean, probably my parents. Okay. But that's sort of different. I mean, the imprinting was kind of energetic. It was, it was sort of like just watching her on TV. And she kind of described this in terms of her relationship with Jimmy Stewart. I met her once at a book signing and I said, you're my Jimmy Stewart. And she just looked at me and I hope she got that. Like, I hope she understood. <laughs> I think she did. But it's that kind of like, you just feel through the screen, like, honestly, it's weird to be talking like this about someone that is a human being and has a complex life like anybody else. And, and I know all that about her. And I know I want to be so respectful because I care so much about you know, who she is and what she does in the world. And so I don't want to be seeming like in any way objectifying someone who I just so, so I don't want it to sound like that when I start analyzing her comedy, because mm-hmm. it's not like that. Who she is as a person, you can't separate that out from who she is as a performer, because there's a generosity in it and an energy and a spirit that, you know, is really indescribable. I was so influenced by that show that I kind of feel like, Everything I do is, is somehow derivative, you know. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Yeah, talk more about that in your life, how Carol and her show and really just the essence of Carol Burnett has influenced you outside of of your work. I don't want to sound hyperbolic, (laughs) but in many ways, I feel like her show saved my life. And and I I think that's like, it's a very drastic thing to say, but I, I do believe that because what it did is it connected me to who I am in an environment where I didn't have any grounding Mm. and I had no reflection back of who I was. And so there was this element of her show, like I connected to the comedy and to her voice and to the sensibility of that show that mirrored back who I was. And that, that was my sensibility. And to have that, we talk about representation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These things are very important in terms of race and, and gender expression and sexual orientation, all these things that people feel outsiders and, you know, marginalized by. There's also sensibility that has a representation. And we find that, you know, we find that in the things that we watch, the movies we watch, the music we listen to, something resonates. Like, we're all kind of energy, right? Mm -hmm. So when we find an energy that resonates with our energy, it amplifies our energy. Mm -hmm. And um, it's like music, you know? So that's what I found in her. And I don't, I don't know what I would have done if I had not found that in myself. I knew who I was comedically because of that show. I knew from four years old that I was going to be an actor Mm -hmm. and I was going to perform and I was going to do comedy. I love that you and your family, you know, you had your own water cooler moments with the right, family right. reenacting everything. I love that. So tell me about, I want to go back to the book signing where you yes. met her. Was that the first time you <laughs> met her? Yeah. I had so many, like one degree of separation kind of thing with her, like always. But I was lucky enough to meet her a few times. The book signing, I believe, yeah, it might've been, it was in LA. 
I tried to meet her when she was shooting a film in Vancouver. I snuck a, a letter like under some hotel. T- I don't know why I thought that was her hotel room door. I, I was like, <laughs> but I think it's this one. I'm going to put this letter under this door. I wrote her a letter when I was like, I don't know, a young kid, like 12 or something. And, and I got back, I got back that, this picture. And there's one picture on my wall. You can see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I met her a couple of other times too. Um, and I've had, I got pictures taken twice with her. All like very meaningful. So, so the first time, actually, just pick any of the times because what I want to really like dive into is I know for me, I, there's a few people like that are like Carol Burnett to me, and I mm. get like so emotionally charged and energized. I guess you could say like physically when I'm like anticipating that conversation, that moment. How did you feel? Like what was going through your head and your body as you're waiting, either in the book line or slipping this letter under her door? What was going on with you, Michael? <laughs> oh my God. Like such a mix, like really kind of freaked out mm-hmm. because there's always a fear in, in interacting with someone that has been so influential in your life, right? Without them even knowing it, you know, they don't know it. And so it's, it's this weird imbalance that is socially awkward. <laughs> so you're like, <laughs> you know, we're all humans and we're all kind of equal on some levels, but not in our minds, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was, I was pretty freaked out and then really jazzed. And I think part of it was just conquering the fear and going, okay, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to put myself out. Can we go back to that letter for a second? I want to mm-hmm. know what 12 year old Michael wrote in this letter to Carol Burnett. I don't remember really, but I know it was way too long. <laughs> like, I think it was four or five pages long. You know, I think I typed it on my dad's typewriter. Or whatever. <laughs> like, I don't remember what I said. I probably just went on about how important she was to me. When I was nine or 10, I had some gerbils and I named my gerbils after her. <laughs> so I think I probably told her. <laughs> what, what, what were the names of the gerbils? Well, they were both males. So it was Carl and Bernie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know if that's something she, she, you know, well, hopefully she'll understand that that is a compliment from a 10 year old, but <laughs> like, if someone told me they named their gerbils at me, I'd be like, Oh, okay. Well, nice. well a 10 year old <laughs> is great. You know, if like a yeah. six, six year old man told me that he's doing yeah. it now, no, that's <laughs> yeah. not okay. Well, that's, that, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> but in, in, you know, I'm still that nine year old kid in a way. So yeah. it's sort of like, okay, get some perspective, get some perspective. <laughs> How would it be to work with her on a project? That is my dream. That is the number one thing on my bucket list. Mm -hmm. I mean, I imagine I would have to, in many ways, put aside all of this stuff and um, put on my professional hat and just do and do the work. Like that's that's essentially how I would approach it. And then after it was over, I'd probably you know just crumble into a slobby mess. I don't know, but (laughs) it would be absolutely a dream come true. I mean, literally a dream come true. It is. It is. Like I would rather do that than anything else on my bucket list. So just because like, I just, I just want to be around her mastery. I just want, and I want to experience her. And, and also it'd be nice to just, you know, wow, this is a person like this is a, a genuine, amazing person who I know from, you know, observing how she is in the world. And then also everybody's testimonials of working with her. Mm-hmm. I'm very jealous of people that got to work with her. <laughs> Yeah, it would be amazing. I think we need to kick this number one item on your bucket list up because she is getting older. So yeah. 
Are you developing a project? Do you have something in mind? Do you have a concept? What's yeah. I, I, I want to help you channel this. <laughs> oh, please, please help me. You know, we did try and get her on one of the shows, but the, you know, the timing wasn't right. She was supposed mm-hmm. to play my character's mother, you know, that, mm. you know, oh. and I think it just wasn't, it wasn't meant to be somehow, but I have a couple series that I'm developing and one of them, I have this dream cast and, you know, she would be my stepmom in this. And then I want James L. Brooks to be my dad and Rhea Perlman to be my biological mom. Oh my God. I love, love it. it. <laughs> so, and she would be like, you know, married to my, you know, James L. Brooks and, and, you know, the, the, the shiksa that converted to Judaism and says all of the holidays wrong kind of thing. <laughs> so that's in my dream. So I'm hopefully can make that a reality. That would be amazing. I am giving you permission from, for what it's worth. I'm giving you permission to pursue that like hardcore right now. I think you should. I think the time is right. Okay. As soon as we get off the phone. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. On it. Let's talk about her performance in one of my favorite musical adaptations, Annie as Miss Hannigan. Mm-hmm. I probably have seen that movie like a hundred times. I mm-hmm. don't know. You know, she's literally, I feel perfect in that role. What mm-hmm. are your thoughts? Oh yeah. I mean, Amazing. She won some awards for that too, right? Like, was it her Tony was, I'm trying to remember if her Tony was for that. Someone, someone look it up. But, <laughs> and I know she did a TV version of it too, right? So she won the Emmys. I think she got was for her show. I know she got a whole bunch of Emmys for her show. Like a ridiculous amount. She's got like six Emmys. She's got seven Golden Globes. Michael, I want to go back. You mentioned earlier when you were talking about feeling seen when you saw Carol Burnett. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. I mean, most people who know who I am or know of me know that I transitioned about, you know, 20 something years ago. And so I grew up from a very early age feeling like I was in the wrong body, Mm. but it wasn't like now where, yeah, there's a lot of crazy uninformed backlash that people don't understand what this is, but there's also a lot more awareness of this now. And Mm -hmm. there was representation. So, but when I was growing up, that wasn't the case. So I didn't know what was going on with me. I I didn't have words for it. But what I saw was a woman on TV that basically was completely irreverent around being a woman. And she used her her body and the physical comedy to make fun of of that, making fun of like, you know, and it wasn't just women, Men, men did it too, right? But it was the, you know, I was focused on that. It was like, wow, you can be in that, this body and not take it seriously. Mm. You know, and she'd have Nora Desmond and, and like Charo's mom come out and they had the boobs with like the baseballs and uh-huh. like, you know, the Bob Mackey's brilliance, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoever, whoever thought of that, you know, and the boobs are like hanging there, like that kind of stuff. Mrs. Wiggins in the skirt, like trying to get into the booth, you know, into a booth in a restaurant and this whole, with her butt sticking out. Like it was irreverent. She was doing stuff as a woman that you weren't quote unquote supposed to be doing. You're poking fun at things that Mm -hmm. had been so made, you know, precious and protected and kind of, you know, puritanically revered in some weird way. Yeah. And that was like, that was amazing. So then that's kind of what I did. I just made fun of my body. That was a coping mechanism that, and I, you know, did summer camp sketches and had a, had a sketch at camp with this group of these girls. We called, called ourselves the Volups. 
you know, and we, we dressed in like ridiculous, you know, costumes and stuff. And it was just, it got to make fun of, of all of this stuff. So in that way, I felt seen, like I said before, around the sensibility, you know, mm-hmm. and then with my family, just being able to all laugh at the same time around something, you feel seen because you're all sharing this moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Humor bonds in a way, in a very deep way, I feel. It's very primal. People don't realize how primal it is to to sit around and it's kind of like the cave people, right? Sat around and went, oh, 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 you know, <laughs> around, around a fire, you know, oh, that's funny. And so kids, babies laugh. They're not taught how to laugh. They just inherently laugh at things and find humor in things. It's, mm-hmm. it's something that is primal and it's part of our human wiring and it's social. All right, Michael. So do you think your love for Carol has connected you to a lot of people in your life? I don't know. It feels a little solitary. Okay. There's fan clubs, you know, because I think that sometimes I feel misunderstood around it. They'll go, oh, Carol Burnett, I love Carol Burnett. I mean, who doesn't love Carol Burnett? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everybody <laughs> loves Carol Burnett. And they're like, oh, I love Carol Burnett. And I, and I feel like saying, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Yeah. You We're don't understand. Yeah, you don't understand how, like, the level of, of what this is for me, you know? And I, again, I don't want to sound like I'm some creepy, weird, like, stalkery kind of thing. It's not like that. But- you get it. It's it's just this, you know, this resonance that is deeper than just being a fan of someone. It's- yeah. It's like knowing multiple episodes of a TV show that you love. Like I do. I know multiple episodes of King of the Hill because I love that show. It's the same kind of obsession that other people would maybe think is crazy, right? No, I'm crazier. Okay, there we go. I, how, <laughs> how are you crazier though, Michael? Tell me. How do you one-up me there? Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, uh, <laughs> but... I don't tend to memorize shows and stuff like that, but I, I can get why people would. And I've worked with lots of actors that are like that about certain shows and they'll start reciting things like, you know, on a break between scenes. I'm like, how do you know that? <laughs> that is fandom for sure. I don't know. I think there's like a difference between resonating with a particular piece of work and resonating with a particular performer. A hundred percent. One's a reality and one is a complete act of fiction. Yeah. I love Arrested Development. Okay. Yes. Like I just thought it was brilliant. I love the good place. Like, you know, there's some really great stuff and I could go back and watch those episodes again or whatever. I'm a fan of the show and it may inform some things around my comedy, but it doesn't really inform who I am. It didn't shape me. It didn't, I didn't imprint on it, let's say, you know? So that's why it's just, it's just different. And most people I think don't, start watching a particular person on TV from the age of four. I don't think that's a normal thing. And still are able to watch new work, you know, in 2023. It's Uh amazing. Or they are, and they're just still watching Barney all these years later. (laughs) Yeah. That's not the case here. When very first thing you said when we started talking about Carol Burnett was that she was part of your psyche. Can you kind of describe what you meant by that? Is it her philosophy? Is it her approach to life? It's not just the comedy because I feel like it's the person. It's what she represented. It's who she was in herself, you know? I think that she showed and modeled that you can have family in an ensemble on TV because it, it, it showed through the work. You know, I mean, whenever Tim Conway would crack Harvey Corman up or whatever, you know, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. There was a family feel, like you were watching a family have fun. And, and that translated, you know, and especially like with kids feel into things. Kids don't think through things the way an adult does, right? 
you know, an adult can go, oh, well, they're, they're getting paid. And, you know, oh, uh, a kid doesn't see that. A kid just sees a bunch of people that are having an amazing time together. And, yeah. and then as I got older and, you know, learned more about the show, her philosophy around how people should be treated, how you treat other people. She was the quote, you know, sort of CEO of the show, but she didn't, she used her power in a really constructive way. And as a woman, I think she had to endure a lot of sexism and misogyny to deal with certain suits that had to, you know, not that she almost didn't get to do the show, but they pushed back and said, no, a woman can't do a variety show. Her ethics and the way that she communicates is just so palpably positive, supportive, generous, you know. She sued the Inquirer for, you know, when they made a false statement about her at a restaurant and and being drunk in a restaurant. And that's a, a sore spot for her, for sure, given her history and and showed the world that you you don't have to you can be a nice person and a good person and you can stand up for yourself and do what's right when someone someone does something wrong. Um, and that was modeling something that was in '76 that that happened. And so yeah, she modeled a kind of autonomy. So psyche, she it wasn't just about the comedic sensibility; it was also about how to be in the world. How, how do you treat other people? How do you have family outside of family? You know, what kind of work do you want to do? How do you want to be in that work? How do you, what kind of leader do you want to be? Yeah. And at the time, you know, can you have, can you be born into a female body and have those things? I feel like there's certain people in our society that are more evolved than the time frame and the circumstances to which they're born into. Mm-hmm. Um, some become presidents, some become physicians and theorists, but it sounds like to me, the more we're talking about her, she's someone who was more evolved for her time than, you know, what was mm-hmm. she born in 1933 or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, she's both ahead of her time in a certain way and classic. Yeah. At the same time, the fact that her show can still be a reference point and a, and a touchstone for people now, people who are, you know, just coming up in comedy reference her. Yeah. Yeah. Classic and ahead of her time. <laughs> like it's just, it's really, a, it's just, uh, and that's just by her being who she is. Not because she tried to do that. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Well, Michael, this has been amazing. And this has been a real deep look at Carol, but I want to ask you to please, now, give a love letter to Miss Carol Burnett. Can you do that for us? Oh, my goodness. Okay. That's a lot of pressure. Okay. Um, <laughs> I want to do this right. No pressure. Have fun. Dear Carol, Ms. Burnett, Carol, thank you so much for being in the world and doing what you do so fearlessly and courageously and generously. You've shaped my life profoundly, and I'm sure many others. And I hope you are around for a lot longer because I have to work with you. (laughs) And that would be the greatest honor of my life. I'm so blown away by um, your continued impact on my life and other people's. And the fact that we're doing this, the fact that I sent you a few options, you guys, and you chose this. This is a, a universal love for you, Carol. So thank you. Love, Michael. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm serious. I'm going to spend at least the better part of the afternoon Googling and reading up on Carol Burnett yeah. because I don't feel like I know enough. I think I hit the nail on the head for me at the end when I'm like, she was super evolved for her time, not just in terms of like her comedy and the way she presented herself. And I love that Michael was saying like how her body was irreverent to her, which was what he yeah. really connected with. I also see that and as a female, am connecting with that in my own way, you know, especially a female in my 40s. My body's changing and I'm like, what's going on? And it's going to be interesting for me to look at her work and to look at how she approached it physically, as well as, you know, just as a comedian. Yeah, she was obviously ahead of her time, but she was so funny. It would be like if Seinfeld, which was so popular in the 90s, I don't know, evolved comedy beyond just like, oh, let's make jokes. Carol Burnett, the fact that she was the funniest person on the funniest show really stood out because besides her, what, there was Lucy? I mean, who were the other female forebearers right there who had their own show where they were the lead? It's impressive to go back and watch those episodes too because she still still hits, Claire. That's what you're going to see. Yeah, I'm sure I will. I don't know. The other thing Michael really hit on was the fact that comedy bonds. And I hadn't really thought about like laughing as a primal thing, but he's absolutely right. Like babies giggle and laugh and Mm -hmm. it's the, you know, the opposite of crying, that natural instinct to laugh and find humor. And I think that for me, as someone, again, a woman in her 40s, the humor is so important to me right now. And it's a bonding thing that I use with my kids. Like, we watch this show, Ridiculousness, (laughs) which is absolutely hilarious. It's part dumb, but it's a great bond for us. You know, Uh it's not exactly, it's modern sketch comedy because they analyze, like, videos, whether it's, like, a TikTok or a YouTube video. Yes, But it's a bonding thing with my kids and I. And I I get that Michael, young Michael, was sitting around bonding with his family, like everyone laughing. And I really appreciate that. Well, it also shows you sides of, like, I remember seeing my father laugh at things and thinking Mm -hmm. like, oh, I didn't realize he thought that was funny. Oh, that's who he is. Right. You know, that kind of stuff. I think we lose that a little bit when you don't watch stuff on the same screen. You know, everybody can watch it on whatever screen they have now. But especially... Back then when it was three stations, one TV that only aired that one 30 minutes and then wasn't going to be a rerun for six months, you had to make an appointment viewing. Right. And you got to see what other people thought were funny. And yeah, you would quote that for the next year, two years, three years. Michael's still quoting it today. You know, it's 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 amazing how we all want to laugh and we find things that we think are funny and they give us a chuckle. Yeah, it's true. Like years. it's it, yeah. as a kid, it's insight into your parents, you know. Yes, <laughs> like, <laughs> and your brothers and sisters too to see right. what else they think is funny. And why do they think that's funny? What do they know that I don't know? You know that kind of stuff. Exactly, exactly. I remember my dad like loved Caddyshack and loved Rodney Dangerfield. Every <laughs> I, mean, I saw were... my dad yeah. laugh at uh, the forty year old virgin. 
die laughing. And I was just like, who is this person? <laughs> what is happening here? <laughs> wait, wait, why does, oh, he thinks this is funny? Like, or, oh, I was just shocked. It's like, yeah, yeah, Caddyshack, Rodney Dangerfield, like the dirtiest man alive. Like you see your dad just laughing at him. You're like, oh, uh, okay. Okay, great. <laughs> I guess this is okay. Well, on that note, we hope you found this episode not just funny, but insightful and thoughtful, thought-provoking. And if you enjoyed it, share it with a friend. We say sharing is caring, right, Jake? It's super caring. So make sure you share and have an amazing week. Yes, we are Fanatics on Twitter. We are Fanatics.com for all our episodes and we will see you guys next Thursday. Bye. Get excited, Fanatics, because next week we have Louis Azala from one of my favorite shows, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime. And he's here to talk about his love for Japanese cooking. Oh my gosh, it's a great episode. So get excited and see you next week. It will be fantastic. Thank you for listening to Fanatics, a Roddenberry podcast. For more episodes and info, head over to wearefanatics.com or tweet your Fanatics thoughts and stories at wearefanatics. Yes, that's we are F-A-N-A-D-D-I-C-T-S. Our show is hosted by Claire Kramer and me, David Magadoff. Produced by me, Claire Kramer, and Kelsey Goldberg. Executive producers Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry. Our sound engineer and editor is Elizabeth Joy Windham. And you can thank Stephen Mudd for our theme song. Catch us next Thursday for another Fanatics episode. Are you tired of dating assholes? Do you want a Prince Charming? If so, we're filming a reality show. Sign up here. 12 American women are flown over to the UK for a Bachelor-style reality dating show. There are so many questions about a show like this because it's so odd. These women have been told that they were going to be dating the world's most eligible bachelor, Prince Harry. What? Y'all playing with me, right? You can binge The Bachelor of Buckingham Palace exclusively on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app.